Hi, my name is Tracy Lynn, and welcome to the Hold the Granola podcast, a no-bullshit approach to the yoga industry. On today's episode, we are examining yoga post-COVID, or more like right in the middle of this thing. And speaking of being in the middle of things, also the largest civil rights movement is happening since the 1960s in America. Today, we're going to unpack what's going on with corporate yoga today, teaching online, and why many teachers like myself aren't chomping at the bit to go back to studios. Plus, some of our predictions for the future of yoga as a business. My guest for today is Ava Moreno, a friend of mine that I met while teaching in Los Angeles. Ava is a 500 ERYT certified personal trainer, movement specialist, professional dancer, and teacher of dance and movement for the past 15 years. Plus, she is an excellent mentor to teachers. Her injuries and her eating disorder recovery are one of her biggest teachers, and she folds that effortlessly into her own teaching. My friends, I am so happy. It's our pilot episode. Please welcome Miss Ava Moreno. Hi, Ava. Hi, Tracy. Oh my God, thank you for doing this. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. This is so exciting. It's so wonderful to see your face. You as well. This is like the new way that we connect with people. And I feel like in the beginning of shutdown, it was very difficult for me to make the transition from seeing so many faces, seeing so many people every single day to now transferring my entire life online. And it's so fitting for what we're going to talk about today because it's kind of been this grow or go situation for so many different industries, but we'll focus specifically on our industry of, I mean, it's kind of weird to talk about yoga as being within the fitness industry, but that's just how it is now. <laughs> is that- that's a whole nother conversation. To yeah, <laughs> that's another podcast <laughs> that actually um, this really awesome podcast called Yoga is Dead went over and I listened to that yesterday. Um, so let's just start off by talking about you. I gave you a little introduction, but tell me about yourself and kind of how we find ourselves here today. Well, um, as you know, and you're also dancer movement, dance like is like my first language. Like I could dance before I could walk. You know what I mean? Like I was dancing since I was tiny and I was really fortunate that my parents um, threw me into all kinds of activities and were able to do that when I was a kid and dance stuck. And when I was like eight years old, I said to my mother, I was like, I need a more serious dance studio at eight. And she was like, okay. All right, that's what we're doing. And I found this wonderful dance studio in Boston. That's where I grew up. I grew up in Brooklyn, Massachusetts. And dance just like completely took over my life. Um, and it's the reason that I'm in this industry now today. It's all to, because of that and that background. Um, in high school, I struggled with anorexia. And I also struggled with over-exercise and the orthorexia, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm eating, really sneaky, really dangerous. Um, I've lived in Massachusetts, New York, Louisiana, Arizona, and now California. And I danced professionally um, when I was younger, about like seven, 
six, seven years ago, I was dancing professionally at the end of my teens and my early 20s before I moved to LA. Um, but anyway, my background is in dance movement. I struggled with eating disorders, which got me into more types of healing movement. Um, I have a trainer who is super inspiring to me and helped me through my recovery. Her name is Colleen Quinn. And because she was so awesome and she is so awesome, I still Skype her twice a week. I do sessions with her twice a week to this day. Um, she is a personal trainer. I was like, I want to become a personal trainer. So when I was in New York dancing, I got my personal training certification. And then I did my yoga teacher training at the same place she did hers in 2014. Of course. I was like, I want to be like you. I want to be exactly like you. And um, that changed my life forever. I did it South Boston Yoga and um, I moved here in 2016 to California um, and haven't really looked back since. There was so much opportunity here. And it was at a time where in New York, dance was getting a lot less funding. Companies that I loved were closing or moving. Um, schools, big schools were closing down. And so it wasn't really the time for me to, I had a big knee surgery um, to move forward with that. I was like, let me go across the country. There's so much opportunity for both yoga and fitness and also movement here. And that's what brought me here. And I just kind of got this like tornado of um, teaching full time and developing my own education and practice and have found, as I'm sure you've experienced too, like um, other layers to the recovery process of like first kind of finding baseline recovery from some trauma and some issues and some habits and behaviors and struggles to kind of go deeper. And that's what's also inspired me to, to share that with people and to be really open about my background and my struggles and how we show up today. Yeah. And, you know, mental health things like anorexia, like bulimia, like the orthonovorsa, um, nervosa, it is so much more than just something that's in your mind. And that was something that I started going into myself when I was teaching in drug and alcohol rehabs all across Los Angeles, because to me, doing just talk therapy is only identifying one layer of what some of these because I, I consider them, you know, they are mental diseases. These are things yes. that don't leave and exit. And in particular, anorexia is so difficult or the eating disorders because you can't take eating out of your life. Yes. You know, that's like a common, like, yes, we need food to survive. So you have to reestablish your relationship with food. A hundred percent. And again and again and again. You know, it's like you have to continue to reestablish and redefine. And I'm sure you also experience this of like to make a choice every day to step again into it. It's like a recommitment. You know what I mean? It gets easier over time to make that commitment and decision. But um, it's like a it's a choice that I choose. I find I have to step into each day, you know, and show up in that way and continue to step forward in recovery. And, you know, there's so much more information available to us now. There's so many opinions about what is best and everybody has an opinion about what works best for them health-wise, fitness-wise, right? All kinds of different agendas. And that's also part of it is sifting through what works for you and what makes you feel good in your body, not just how you look or what somebody else who has a six pack says, or you know what I mean? Whatever mm -hmm. else, there's like a whole nother layer, especially in our world today with so much information available at our fingertips. And it's, it's a lot to sift through, but it's a, it's a process to. Yeah. And I think having a multi-modality approach to it is so important. Again, like having talk therapy is good. 
bringing movement into the body is really good. And something that I've been doing lately is hypnotherapy, mm. um, which has just been so great. Cause for me as a sober person, cause I've almost been sober now for 14 years, I can't even believe it. <laughs> that is so like, it's amazing. That's amazing T. Thanks awesome. Sue. <laughs> but to me, like I see the benefits of people that use plant medicine like that use DMT and use mushrooms and ayahuasca and all those things. And I'm like, Oh, that fucking sounds awesome. But I am so afraid that I would set myself on a relapse. So I've been doing hypnotherapy with my friend, Isabel, a person, you know, also, I believe Isabel Gray. She's amazing. She does like Reiki and all that stuff. And she's been helping me just dig into the deepest file cabinets in my brain. And she works with my visualizations and the way that I anthropomorphize my feelings Mm. and it's so much more telling than normal talk therapy for me and you know and I even have my own experiences with eating disorder I was a bulimic for a long time and claimed that doing crystal meth was my cure for bulimia (laughs) because if I don't eat then I won't throw anything up which of course like how toxic is that shit But I mean, honestly, coming into, and I want to start to segue into yoga, because while yoga is a really amazing and helpful thing for people, depending on the teacher and how trauma aware they are, how body aware they are, and if they're in a mindset of recovery, um, you know, weird behavior and weird thoughts and feelings around food and around body can penetrate the yoga space and has penetrated the yoga space. And I've been reading a lot, you know, and this will kind of tie into everything is that there are a lot of yoga studios right now under scrutiny. And it's almost like having everything shut down brought other things to the surface and got people examining what the message is and what the messages are that some of these studios are bringing to the light. Now, there was just an article about it. It's called Yoga to the People. Mm -hmm. It's like a donation-based studio that I know is in San Francisco in the Bay Area and I think one other place. Heavily. Many teachers who were managers there, actually, who have, yeah, who have been coming out and speaking about this, who all came to LA around the same time, who I learned from in 2016, especially 2017, 2018. On that note, yeah, I think they're, I think Colorado, they have a bunch in New York, and then yeah, San Francisco. I'm not sure if there's any other locations. I mean, I saw stories of people getting food snatched out of their hands, being told to not eat certain things. <sighs> no, I, I am so sorry. I know that there are, you know, all the things and tenants and, and in particular, like, veganism as a lifestyle has come into the picture of yoga but I do not think that as yoga teachers we do not dictate how people live their lives we simply show them themselves and hold up a mirror for themselves so that they make decisions going out into the world Exactly. And that thing can change the, um, the culture of like the guru or this person put on a pedestal and this power issue. Um, instead of exactly, instead of dictating what people do, it's a matter of offering them the tools to decide what they want to do themselves. It's empowering people. 
as opposed to the opposite, you know, I think, and there's a big difference. And I think it can switch really easily because when somebody becomes very popular, they have a methodology that works for people. And then they're seen as this celebrity figure, as we've seen so many times with, you know, different people in the industry, especially like <laughs> so much this year, last year, right, it's come out, continued to like that roller coaster, which is wonderful that there's this momentum and there's this, um, space being held in the industry for, for of safety for people to speak about it because I think there's a lot of fear and a lot of shame and a lot of guilt so the fact that there's a conversation being opened creates the space for people to feel like they can also contribute which is beautiful to see like this while it's a little unnerving to see how much is there and which means there's more also there that we're not hearing about at least that conversation is opening up it's I, I've seen so many people who have I've, I had not heard that from that I know very well who are now like very transparent in their experiences and being both on both sides of it, you know, and being complacent and compliant with the abuse because it benefited them in some way, um, and then also being on the on the other end of it on the receiving end. Yeah, and for me, it comes down to ethics. Yes and which ties so nicely into what I really wanted to talk about with COVID and studios and the way that they were handling shutdowns and the way that they're handling it now. So again, perfect timing. Just yesterday, Gavin Newsom rolled back reopening in California and he shut down fitness studios. <laughs> he did. He sure did. He did. I thought it was going to happen sooner. And here we are. Finally. Same. We were Daddy, talking. Daddy Newsome put us in timeout. <laughs> and I like it. I'm in. We it. needed it. We really needed it as the state. It's like people don't want to come here. And there's travel bans from California, you know? Like I, 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 my family's in, in Massachusetts and I worry if I were to travel for whatever reason to Massachusetts to see them that I wouldn't be able to get back, right? There's all these, or if I do go, there's some, there, there's, it's escalating very quickly, especially yes. here in California. I mean, there's no, you can't deny that. The, the numbers are the numbers, the facts are the facts. And mm -hmm. it, I, I, I'm surprised that it took as long as it did to, to do this. But I also, I'm wondering, do you feel like we had these phases and then things kind of went quickly? back in like so many things opened at once it felt like and then you know it's to be expected that what happened happened with cases right I mean I honestly believe that openings happened the way they did because of pressure yes um because so many people were protesting openings which there were even some teachers protesting closures, which to me was very odd. And I was just like, got it. I know who you are now. Okay. <laughs> and like, I mean, I heard somebody say the other day, which I thought was so powerful. Um, and this isn't to like call people out, but just to be really honest is there's a lot of people where their identities and the things that they cling tightly to are dependent on what's out there sports, yes. socializing, yes, drinking, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, all those things. And, and I think it's so, so true. And it's just, I mean, I wasn't 
super social to begin with before this. Like I'm kind of a homebody, even though we're in an industry that is very social and very like we're in people's faces. We're around a lot of people, but I really value, you know, my ability to be a very introverted extrovert. So when, you know, people started really complaining about this and started yelling at other people about this, it's like, I don't know if you're exactly going to get COVID from going to this gym or going to this hot yoga studio or whatever the things are, but I don't know what else you're doing. I don't know if you're going to a bar and then coming to hot yoga the next day Mm -hmm. and exposed to somebody that has this thing. And so it's kind of like, it's gotta be all or nothing. It, it kind of has to be. And, and also something that I had a really difficult time wrapping my brain around was people working out in an enclosed space to begin with, with, with this whole thing. Cause when you're exerting yourself, yep. you're breathing hard. I mean, when I teach, I'm like spitting, like <laughs> wet is flying. Spit is flying. Yup. Girl, flying. I've had people do jumping jacks and they're, they're, they're flicking me. They're, they're, I am, it's like a sweat, you know, like want, what are those things called? The lawn sprinklers. It's like, I'm getting hit with a sweat lawn sprinkler. It's so gross, <laughs> So gross. but I was okay with it because I'm a gross person deep right. down inside. <laughs> but like, why is that okay? And it's interesting. I've even brought it up to students. I'm like, okay, it's one thing if somebody sneezes or coughs in class, but like this thing is spread through droplets. Right. And that can just be from (sighs) heavily breathing and you're going into a hot space. I don't know. I, it's, yep. It, it, I agree. It's like, when you really think about it, it's like, maybe doesn't make the most sense. Maybe isn't the smartest thing. Um, We've also seen so much about um, how being outside is much safer in terms of contracting and transmitting the virus as opposed to being inside in enclosed spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, And same thing with like the heat amplified everything. Yeah, you think about like, even if people are spread out, if they're going to be flinging sweat or someone breathes heavily or anything, there's just there's so many ways that it could potentially go wrong. And yeah, even if most people are being safe, even if one person did go to a bar or to a restaurant and sat next to somebody or something, or, you know, you, you just, you just don't know. And there's like so many un there's so many things we cannot control. There's so many variables and that's, what's really with so many, how many people also go through these spaces. It's, a little it's a little it, it sits a little weird you know it's definitely rests in an, in an uneasy way for me at least personally and same and my boyfriend has been going to work throughout this whole thing because he is an essential worker and they have not shut down anything because what they do is essential right and they've had over 50 cases and so every i don't feel like i'm just like waiting to get it but I'm not going to roll the dice because I care about my students and I'm not trying to put myself on a moral high ground by saying that. Right. But we kind of, you know, we spoke about this beforehand and this is what really motivated me to 
create a series like this because I think these are really important things to talk about is like, what is motivating teachers to go back into that space? And it's probably like they're hurting for money. Yes. It's, I've noticed a lot of senior teachers or whatever that word means. I teachers who've been teaching senior, right? What does that really mean? Right? Like, let's get real. Um, like I'm 30, but I'm a senior. Like, what is that? And also it's like, <laughs> what, what is the definition of that? People have been teaching. We've, we've been teaching for, I've been teaching for yoga for six years and that's like, I'm just still getting started. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some people might see that as a long time, but I have many teachers, 15, 20 years plus, right? Jerry Reeder, one of our teachers, has been teaching yoga for longer than I've been alive. Yeah. He knows more about yoga than I know collectively about life. We love you, Jerry. We love you, Jerry. So anyway, whatever that word means, but teachers who are really established and have been able to make the decision to say no. And I know a, a teacher from one studio, studio gym that I teach at who was speaking about ahimsa, which we'll, we'll talk about in nonviolence and that being the first yama and the first limb of yoga within the first limb of yoga. And she was like, you know, I have to let that guide me. And I, I don't want to go back into space because it doesn't feel to me, I just can't see this in a way where it is safe for everybody, even if like, it's not about me, right, but just about everybody else. But I, you're right, people are hurting for money, and they feel like they don't have other options. So a lot of teachers, especially newer teachers, um, I don't even necessarily think just newer teachers, a lot of teachers feel like this is their only option. Mm-hmm. Because there's unemployment if they, if they, um, if they turn down work, so they, they have to then work, otherwise they lose unemployment and they won't have work and they don't feel like they have other options available to them. They feel like this is their only option. Um, but a lot of the joy in what we do is lost right now. I mean, now things have shut down again, but in the period when things were open with the masks and the gloves and the distancing and a lot of what we do is is gone in that. There's a lot. I mean, the protocol needs to be there to keep people safe, don't get me wrong, but it's this weird in between, I think, regular group fitness of other sorts it's a little bit more but yoga it ends up feeling weird you know for yoga because it's such a personable practice and it's so intimate um and there's so many now rules and regulations that take away a lot of the connection and a lot of the yeah the connection is I think the best word to describe it yeah and another thing that I think is so important is some teachers discomfort in teaching online you know, they, they can't get over that barrier, you know, seeing bodies online just doesn't do it for them. And, and same for students. Like some students are like, I just cannot click something and do yoga. Like there, <laughs> so many of my students all the time tell me that when it gets really hard, they pause class and like scroll. It's <laughs> amazing. I know. That's a, to be able to take a pause, a little pause on that. Little pause. Go for it. Eat a cookie. They do it in class anyways, all the time. And I'm just like, hey, little asshole, come on back. Join us. <laughs> yes, join us. So that's why, you know, again, like making that jump, going from teaching online versus teaching in person. And I want to kind of take this focus back to studios because I think studios have had a really 
difficult time with this unless they already had um, an online forum established. Yes. Um, and it's an even more difficult is like, okay, it's not just going to be one person populating this content. It's going to be your teachers. And now this enters us into a new realm of, because teachers need to be compensated. Yes. Students don't just show up to a studio for the amenities and nothing else. They show up for the teachers. And I think so many people are starting to realize this now as some teachers are choosing to not come back. Some teachers are choosing to just completely reimagine that the way that they do their work and they're realizing like, oh shit, uh, we kind of need to figure some things out right now. So like, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. What's your um, personal experience with just like getting approached for creating online content? Cause I have my own stories and I'd love to hear yours if you have any. Well, unlike you, I didn't have anything established before. So you were, and yeah, you've, you've written about this in, on social media and, and talked about this, how you're like, I, I feel like I had an accidental head start because you had created something before, which I also think is beautiful because it shows that it's authentically something you wanted to do. It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. It wasn't your response. It was like what you wanted to do. It was part of your dharma. And that shows, right? It does. The fact that you were like, I want to do this. And you know, you had external sources asking for it and, and, and but you, you created something authentically wanting to do that when it, you weren't under pressure to. So mm-hmm. that also shows if like, it is not, as we spoke about something that people don't want to do that, that will translate to a certain extent, if not completely. Um, I just like you was super busy, right? <laughs> so busy. <laughs> teaching 20 something classes a week, running around Los Angeles, private, small group, whatever, all the things. Um, Insanity. Hustling, hustling, hustling. Like, and I mean, being from the East Coast too, like that is like instilled in us. Like that people are like, oh, LA is so fast paced. For me, LA is slow compared to Boston and New York, right? Like I'm like, oh, things move. So I feel like I was running around circles around people when I first moved here. And <laughs> I took pride in that. I was like, mm, yes, you know, like going, going, going. and. I, right before this all happened, I was actually about to go back into, I had taken like all these vacations from like, I had my deviated septum repaired. I went on a trip to Europe. I did a teacher training in Vancouver. I led two teacher trainings. I had taken all this time off and like was in and out of work. And when I was here, I was working a ton. And when I wasn't, I would, and I literally came back on a Wednesday. I was working Thursday was my first day back. And I was like, okay, like I'm gearing up. There's no end in sight. There's no more vacation in sight. Like I have to get momentum to come back into this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I was like, I wish I had just had like two or three weeks off from work to be in LA, to clean my house, to get reorganized, to reset. And Sunday, everything shut down. And I had been wanting to, on this whole tangent, I had been wanting to create some type of online platform for myself. I wasn't sure how I felt about pre-recorded content. It's something that I was like... I don't want to just have that because I need the connection. I need the interaction factor. I have a good friend of mine. Her name is Brittany Churchill. She's been a rock star during this. We have crossed paths in our dance life earlier. And then we ended up, she was my student at Hot 8 in Pasadena four years ago. She now works for them. She's an incredible teacher herself. She does website design and graphic design. 
she and I had talked in January about building me a site, about building me some type of platform and all this stuff. And I just didn't have the time, quote unquote time, right? I, I didn't make time for it. I had so many other things going on. So when this all happened, I called her and I was like, how quickly can you build a website? So something that I that was on my radar and I wanted to do, but unlike you, I did not have it established previously. It was from a space of wanting to authentically, and we, we'll talk more about the details of what what I what I've built in that and what how I want things to be divided in the different things I offer. But anyway, because I didn't have something already built, it was much harder for me in that conversation of being approached about online content because I was like, well, I'm working on this thing and I want all my attention to be going to this thing and all of my pre-recorded content to be going to this thing. But I didn't have it already established to say, well, I already have this. So I had to have some really honest conversations about like, you know, we, you, we spoke about not only you're asking people to give you content, but you're asking them to now be producers and filmmakers. Um, mm -hmm. There's a whole separate set of skills, completely different, which is why I had somebody do my website because I was like, tech, anything involving that is not, it, it's just not my strength. It's not what I do. But what's so hard is that there's not a lot of money being presented for content that is then someone's forever. And so you need a new contract stating that what it is needs to be laid out. And that, in my experience, has not been the case. Um, in some cases, I was offered a decent amount of money. And so I, I did some things, but some I was like, I can't get on board with this. Everything I'm doing myself and filming myself needs to be moving towards my platform because I need to be prioritizing that because I'm an independent contractor. Exactly. Talk about. And it's, I'm in some places I'm an employee, at some places I'm an independent contractor, mm -hmm. but in the spaces where I have found with the independent contract work, um, you know, that means that then I have to be doing what I need to do for me and to build what I need to do with longevity, because we also don't know how this is going to last. We don't know what this is going to look like when we come out of it. And while that can create a little bit of this feel of each man for himself, it also makes us prioritize and realize like, what do I want to do for me? without the external pressure of someone else or someone else above me, what is in alignment with what works for me? And I got really in touch with what I wanted to do and what felt right to me and let that guide me in terms of working with other people and not. And I didn't just say, I'm not working with anybody. I think I found a good middle ground and compromised to maintain relationships and support studios and gyms that I am a part of, that I love dearly and that I wanted to see reopen but I also simultaneously was able to carve out most of my time for my own stuff. And I was, boundaries came up and I, mm -hmm. I struggled with that. And that's something that I had to establish very quickly during this quarantine was where are my boundaries? What can I say yes to? What can I say no to? And I was fortunate to be able to bounce ideas off of my friend Brittany and, and go to her for advice given like, you know, just the whole thing in general. And she was able to be really honest about like, I think this makes sense. I think this doesn't make sense. So long story short, sorry about that. All that. Um, I found, it, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of um, formal presentation of, of the change in the offerings. And I understand that things, we had to move quickly because of the state of everything and the knee jerk reactions we were seeing from individuals and studios and gyms across the board. And um, it's a hard place to be in, you know, to navigate that and to have to say no sometimes. Yeah, it's super tough. And it comes down to me again, like you hit on boundaries, knowing my worth mm -hmm. and taking a breath before agreeing to anything. Because 
I come from, you know, a place where I have a scarcity mindset at times because it took me a while to get footing in this industry. And when I got into it, I told myself, hey, guess what? You're going to be really broke for a while. And I was. But then it built up to a space where I really had a lot of negotiation power when I was coming into new spaces. And what's so funny is when, you know, COVID shut down, again, I already had my website already rolling. I do all of my classes through Patreon. And I started it in July, like June, July of last year. So I literally had basically nine months of getting all the weird kinks out, all the weird things out before, um, before this all happened. So it was just like, hey, do you want this? Here's this complete product. Oh, and also I have like 75 videos for you to like use right now if you want that. It was just a matter of adding on live classes to my weekly schedule just to make it a little more robust. Now, I personally um, like pushed back from everything because I saw what other people were offering and realized that if I agree to doing that, it takes my attention away from my own thing, like you said. And while I don't think this is an every man for himself, I also think that we really have to cling to our agency and make these decisions based on like, is this serving my community? Is this serving me? And for me, backing away was the thing that served me and my community the most. Even though I felt like I was going through a breakup with some people that I was working with, but it opened up space for me to work with this major motion picture company and do um, do classes and recordings for their employees. So because it was this kind of sheltered thing and they were really professional with their contracts and everything. So those are the only two things I'm doing is my own thing and working with that one movie company. So it really helps me to stay focused on right here and right now and how I can get better because it's like, it's like a practice learning how to film, edit, record. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a practice. And, and the investment in the materials, that's why I really started to question some studios because I was like, you don't know what you're asking for and you cannot tell these people that you're going to pay them 30 bucks for something. Even if they're just recording it off their phone, I do not care. Teachers are worth more than that. Yeah. And that's the thing is with, <clears throat> with filming things and pre-recorded content, it's there forever. Jewelers to do forever and you're right and like teachers are worth more than that you know like we we do so much and we love our craft so much and we it's we have also discussed you know the the dangers and the importance and um what's required that I think a lot of people don't know they think like sometimes teaching yoga is a cop out and it's like Mm -hmm. you know it's like this oh I just teach yoga not really right (laughs) I think I think there are, I'm sure there are some people who are in that boat that give that a bad rap, but there's a lot of yoga teachers that, there's a lot that goes into that people don't know. And there's so much, as I've learned in this process, that is behind the scenes of all of this, of course, online stuff. You see this finished product, you have no idea, you know, the, the amount of time and energy and investment and re-recording and editing that goes into this. And you were so, again, so it was so great that you were able to work out all those kinks ahead of time so that you had this really beautiful, polished, refined, um, professional, you know, 
get, <laughs> getting there. We're getting there. It's, like slowly but surely. It can only go up from here. Girl, I didn't know an F-stop from a bus stop on a camera, you know? And I, I was realizing that like all, you know, it took me so long to acquire a microphone because I realized like, oh, I should really have like a wireless mic on. And I didn't know how to set the ISOs on a camera and like, what's exposure? There was just so many things. And, and because I'm just so like tweaky in my brain, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> like I put every, like it's a, it is both a detriment thing for me, a character defect, as well as an asset because I don't like putting out half-ass material out there. Yes. I don't like teaching half-ass classes, you know? I just don't go in there and pull something out of my butt and say, here you go. Like, because we, I really care. I know you really care. And we kind of come from these um, schools of thought where like we teach yoga, but we also come with this very sound anatomical perspective because to me, yoga can be um, just the asana practice can be very transforming for the body because of how it builds our proprioception, how it builds our awareness within. And how am I going to do that unless I know my anatomy and know who I am? And that really helped me personally as a person with eating disorder and drug addiction things. Like I had to take that back. Yep. We, we had to grab that back for ourselves. And so arming ourselves with facts. And, and when we learn about these things for ourselves, we then teach them and we help people and we inform them about what their bodies are. Exactly. Arm yourself with facts that it like sits so well. Exactly. Exactly. It's that. And it's, it's soothing for me to know. So knowledge is power, I feel like. And I'm, I'm yes. a nerd when it comes to this stuff. One of my friends jokes, she's like, Ava loves to have facts. Like, it does. It's soothing to know. And I don't have all the answers. I don't claim to have all the answers. And what I've, the more I study of anatomy, the more I learn how much human variation there is and how everybody's bodies are different. But I think by being informed in your own body and feeling things in your own body, then you can, you can teach from there. But without having the felt, that's why we say, you know, you have to do the practice yourself on any, you cannot be teaching anything, not just asana, but all of it. If you are not doing it yourself, it is going to show it. It, it will, people can tell you know, when someone's in front of them who is spewing BS on any level. And something that makes me nervous with, with t- taking breath work from teachers is because I, I don't trust a lot mm-hmm. of people to really, really, really know, because that can be dangerous and that can be, have a lot of impacts on nervous system. Um, and so I'm very specific and, meth- you know, I'm I, methodic with who I, who I choose to learn from and practice with because of based on their own practice and their own known understanding and the same thing shows up for anatomy it's like feeling it in your body and studying you can read all the textbooks which are important and i love books but also how does it how does it applied right how or how and and that's what's cool is in my last few years is like studying with teachers who are really talking about like functional and applied anatomy and understanding of of human variation and mm-hmm. bernie clark was one of my first just yoga anatomy nerds that I clung on to that I even pulled out the other day because my boyfriend is in the middle of a yoga teacher training right now. So amazing. I'm so excited for him. But also I'm like automatically just kind of coming in. I'm like, what are you learning today? 
like, like, what are we talking about? And there was like a little bit of a mistake on, it wasn't a little mistake to me, it's a very big mistake about pelvic positioning. And so I like busted out all my books and I'm like, this is posterior and this is anterior and this is neutral and this is nutation and counter nutation. And like, not everybody needs to know that, but you're not going to have just normal people step into your classroom and especially when you start teaching like in special arenas which i found myself in you know it's like teaching in treatment just this last year or two i started teaching with this company called b4bc and so i'm teaching women that um, are either like post out far from their cancer or still in the middle of treatment some of these women do not have lats anymore they've been surgically removed there was one woman that came that had Ewing sarcoma. She no longer had a leg. So how, right? So how do you teach that person if you don't have something in your brain, if you don't have a basic understanding or at least more of an amplified understanding of human anatomy? Absolutely, 100%. It's funny you should mention Bernie because that's the training I did. I did his training in Vancouver before yes. COVID happened. I went and... It was my first training out of the country. I mean, I know it's not that far, but like it, I was like traveling by myself, you know, out of the country for the first time. I've been, I've been fortunate to travel many places, but I was like, oh, going by myself. And it was a beautiful experience. And one of my um, colleagues from one studio who is a student of his is big in the accessible yoga world, yes. training for them. And um, I've had students in wheelchairs and yeah, I mean, working and working with just underserved populations in general and people with trauma informed is a big thing that there's not a lot of um, trauma, good trauma informed trainings available to teachers, at least here. I have a friend who's, who's gonna work on writing one and building one because she's like, this is something I wanna offer. And I don't know a lot of people who, and I know that's something for you too as well. You're like, yes. this is available and I wanna offer this. Um, but yeah, you're, you need to, in order to make you're teaching accessible, you need to have an understanding first of the body. You can't just wing it and make it up. I mean, yes, a lot of it is figuring out trial and error, but you have to have a baseline understanding of what is going on. And if someone has a torn whatever, at least knowing where that is in their body, right? It's mm -hmm. like, what is the function of that tendon or cartilage or muscle or ligament, right? That's like, what? how is that then possibly going to impact and what do you need to look out for? How can you support people in their injuries? And I found my injuries as a huge teacher because I've experienced that in my body. And so like, I, that's how I got into learning about anatomy was like researching my own injuries. I was like 12 years old, dislocated my knee. My dad, we were sitting in my orthopedic surgeon's office and he was like shocked at this conversation we were having, which was just like basically Latin to him because what's going on but I was like so I was such a nerd about it I wanted to understand so it didn't happen again you know what I mean I was like well how can I fix this like this is such a problem I need to dance it's so weird I like love going to physical therapy because I just want to chop it up with my physical therapy it's like yo what are we working on today <laughs> but I want to touch on you know what you were starting to go into is accessibility because I think accessibility physically is very important, but accessibility um, in other ways is equally as important because I think our industry has, beca has become very financially inaccessible for people. And teaching online and you know what, creating what our price points are, which to me when I started my studio is I wanna create 
yoga material, meditation material, just things that people can take on and digest for themselves at a very reasonable price. Because right now the average drop-in for a yoga studio is anywhere from 25 upwards to 29. And don't get me started on Pilates. Um, <laughs> so this makes this industry a, a, a ind an industry of privilege. And I, I think that this is really coming up with the Black Lives Matter movement. Like my boyfriend is in a Black Lives Matter. It's all black attended and it is all black led teacher training that is on a sliding scale basis people could pay one dollar if that was all they could afford and that gave them access into that training which i think is really important work and even um i think it's called black yoga magazine they're doing a 200 hour online training for 250 bucks that's amazing it's incredible incredible that makes me happy that that is that at least something you know what i mean is, is starting to come of that because it's it's wild up until now and continue i mean what what the cost is and the inaccessibility and it's a practice that is can be so healing and so powerful as we both experienced in our own experiences and for our students it should be available to everybody everyone be available to everybody and it's not especially in a place like los angeles an oversaturated market a space of privilege. I mean, it's not reaching the people that it needs to reach. It's only scratching the surface. And it, 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 it like makes me emotional because we pour ourselves into it. And we want this to be able to reach people when we need, we need that. And it's like, when you, when you, when you realize like you're just at this very surface level of people, it's like, oh, we're doing, we're doing the most. It's like, how can we get this to more people and people who really can benefit from this because it, it could yoga can change the world it really can movement you know can change the world i do believe that if it if it we get it to the right people um and also the right people but um, you know like more people um yeah. so that's that's beautiful that like that is happening that makes that gives me hope that gives me a lot of optimism in the industry that sometimes feels like it's failing a little bit you know yeah i i agree and i and again just like tapping back to that it's like we are two white women <laughs> teaching yoga. We are not indigenous <laughs> to India. It's like we are, and, and I even was thinking about this really deeply when I was listening to the Yoga is Dead podcast and they were diving into 200 hour trainings and they were diving into the Yoga Alliance. Mm -hmm. And um, it is a hot fucking mess. Like, I mean, I just took, I just took it as truth. You know, when I got into the industry and was like, oh yeah, this is the certifying agency and this is what you do. And you just kind of walk forwards and do the thing. But Yoga Alliance does not um, take like indigenous teachers as actual certification. And that sounds like the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. Like if, <laughs> if you went to an ashram and that teacher, that individual who is like, not a householder or whatever, and have dedicated their lives to this practice, but they're not considered a certified teacher by a bunch of white people in, <laughs> in the United States. And I just think a lot of things need to get shifted and changed around for us to be appropriate and not appropriative of the culture. Yes, agreed. And it, it's perpetuating the issue. It's 
keeping this cycle going, especially in the US, right? It's like, well, it's like primarily white women teaching primarily white women. I mean, and, and being white women and white passing women, like it doesn't mean that like that is, shouldn't be available to us, but we're not, yeah, we're, we're missing a big piece of that. And it's easy to forget because like we're working so hard and we're doing all the things and we're showing up in the ways we need to, but there's a lot there that's missing. And I know that is so insane to me. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like why does the U.S. continue to think that we know better when this practice came from somewhere else? Why are we not choosing to respect at least people who are, who are learning in that environment? That's insane. Right. And to me, I, I always have just felt like, okay, anything that gets given to me, especially knowledge-based, it's like, I, I need to become a conduit of that knowledge. Like, yes, it is mine and I brought it on, but like, I don't have ownership over it. Like it is not my property. Like it is borrowed knowledge to me. And it's my duty as a teacher to continue to make that knowledge more robust. And especially right now with COVID and with Black Lives Matter going on, I've been trying to make, um, you know, my knowledge more robust beyond just what I know as yoga, but how to make my space, even if it's just online or in person, more inclusive to all people. And so I started to read this book called Skill in Action, Um, Radicalizing Your Yoga Practice by Michelle Cassandra Johnson. She is a yoga teacher and she's a social worker. And she also um, does this thing called Dismantling Racism Teachers. So she'll go places and basically inform these yoga studios on how to become a more inclusive space. And I want to read something because I have her book here on my phone and I think it's just an incredible read that's been blowing my mind like every single paragraph. So this is from Michelle's book, Skill in Action. Many yoga studios and centers have the intention of creating a space that is accessible to everyone. They may feature murals on their wall with the words like, we are the oneness of all being. They might go on to have meditation and or Dharma classes focused on self-love and compassion. Teacher trainings often focus on training students to understand the eight limb path of yoga, which outlines the structure and foundation of the practice. Some studios hold fundraisers and community classes are also common. Yoga studios and centers engage in spiritual bypassing by stopping at setting good intentions while detaching from the important practice of exploring the intersection of social justice and yoga. Spiritual bypassing allows yoga spaces to suggest that we should live by all the tenets of the practice of yoga without considering how to take the teaching a step further. This step includes inviting yogis to think carefully about how so much of what we are experiencing as a collective results from injustice, capitalism, and abuse of power and oppression. Like, God damn. I mean, she's incredible. I'm going to definitely link her book below. Like, please buy this book directly from the author, if possible, instead of going through Amazon. (laughs) I'm trying to like fully detach from Amazon and doing things like that. So I can actually give to the people that are creating this content because what she's doing is so important. Um, Because I feel like this in 
incredible motivation to be standing up for anyone and everyone that steps into a yoga space. Whether that's the person that doesn't feel comfortable stepping into a studio that's, you know, in the middle of a very affluent area with primarily white students and white teachers, you know, to even the teachers that are freshly minted coming into this space and starting their pay rate at $15 an hour while being asked to create playlists, to memorize these sequences, to continue their education to the tune of thousands and thousands of dollars. Like there are so many things that we can, that we can change and should become more aware of. And that's why I feel like these shutdowns actually very much so radicalized me in the way that I was viewing our industry, which even further motivates me to invest in my own business and in my own work. Because oftentimes, I know that you said that you were both an employee and a private contractor, and I was basically exclusively a private contractor. And there are a lot of differences between those two things. And it gets very muddy in yoga, because essentially a private contractor, it's like, you don't really have any say on how you do and how you create this product. But nine and a half times out of 10, they absolutely have every word on how we are doing what we are doing, yet are evading uh, paying taxes on us and providing us benefits. Yep. Like what the fuck? <laughs> Exactly. And it's interesting when the law passed this this year and many studios and gyms changing over to employee base. Um, I was someone interviewed me for an article and they actually mentioned that a lot of teachers they had interviewed were in favor of being independent contractors. And I think that they didn't those people may have not realized because what I think people see is that they're not getting taxed. Mm -hmm. as independent contractors with that money mm -hmm. but as you and I both know we've talked about our quarterly taxes before you're then having to pay so much more oh my god right instead of getting things taken out of your paycheck and it being you know what I mean like so much more the rates as an independent contractor for tax are insane and yoga teachers don't generally don't make a lot of money and it ends up it is absolutely wild it floors me every single year and I pay my quarterly amount, but like same. It is madness, especially if you are purely an independent contractor. It can look good in the, in the time that you're doing it. Oh yeah, look at all this money, but like then we have to pay it all back. I mean, and that's exactly right. It's like the lack of there's no benefits. Um, it, it it for smaller studios especially it it serves them well. And then after I think you have to do a certain amount of employees or there's some threshold, then you know you have to become independent contractors at least up until this past year. Mm -hmm. um, you're right. It is wild. It's, and that's why it's been nice for me, like to have that balance of some, but I can't imagine solely being a private contractor. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> Girl, I feel like I was committing seppuku four times a year, just pulling my insides out. <laughs> just like, oh, take all this money. And even though like, I, I mean, my tax guy is fantastic and I've gotten just like surgical with my write-offs yeah. um you know creating documents all those things to support especially since I started to transition last year to online 
I had a ton of new expenses because, and we'll dive into this deeper in the last little piece of this, but like I needed a new laptop. Like I was not able to create and render videos in an efficient way on my janky ass little like air MacBook. It was just a struggle bus and a half. So thankfully I was able to kind of collect and actually for the first time in my life as an independent contractor got a return because I overpaid on taxes, which was like throwing confetti into the sky and was so great because I got my tax return right when COVID shutdown happened. And I was like, thank you. Like that floated my ass during the beginning of this thing. It's amazing. That was me last year. I actually finally got a return. I was like, This is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And same. I also had to get a new laptop, which we'll talk. So my experiences with technology, like it's such a learning curve. You would get to learn fast too. Right. You know, like, and that's the thing is you had so much of it slowly, gradually done, but like a lot of people want to learn fast. Mm-hmm. And like, you kind of have to suddenly become your own boss too. Like you got to stick to a schedule. Like I don't sleep in. I get up at 5.30 in the morning, 6 a.m. when my partner gets up and goes to work it just kind of works for us in that way. I'm like, you're up, I'm up, let's go. Trying to kind of schedule yourself out and to establish like, what is your online rhythm going to become? So I don't know about you, but for me, I've established a schedule of releases. So it's like, I release something every Monday, I release something every Tuesday, I teach live on Wednesday, record that, release that, I feature somebody in my Patreon studio every Friday, and then release another class on Saturday. So I just like, you know, saturating my offerings with things, and it keeps me accountable and keeps me continuously reproducing. Plus, I like to invite my students to ask for their needs to be met. What is the perfect class for you? Because I can actually step in and like create that and then have a lot of creativity also with what other modalities I'm pulling into, you know? So it's like a little Pilates or a little bit of jujitsu, you know, all these things that were my kind of my collection of movements that helped keep me sane and in my body, I try to pull from that to create. So I'd love to know what your creation process is like with your website. So for me, it's, I have a combination of things that I offer because I wasn't super set at first on just doing pre-recorded content because like I said, I needed the connection, I needed the interaction. Um, I also had, I also get very nervous with asana and people not being supervised with asana and I, i'm a very good teacher you know i'll scream at somebody when the name of safety right like safety comes first for me so i was like a little hesitant like okay people are doing things at home like okay like getting like very nervous about that but obviously i'd have to I've, I've had to shift and and a big thing for me in this this past year of teaching in general has been like trusting my students more and to letting them take some ownership and not needing to police everything and being a control freak about everything and being a perfectionist about everything and not projecting that onto my students because I have a tendency mm. as a perfectionist to and and in the name of caution and all those things but to like let students figure things out for themselves and figure things out in their body and teach them this is something that Bernie Clark taught me was to teach your students how to fly their own plane and not just to fly for them I love that Yes. Bernie dropping facts. I love him. Oh, oh, he's the best. He is. 
the best. I cried the last day. It was a seven day training. I was like, I don't want to go home. I just told him I was, he was, in, he's incredible. Um, and he's just like the sweetest man. And he's so, he's so passionate about what he does and he got shows and he teaches. And so anyway, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to do some pre-recorded content. So what I've been doing is I started teaching very early on in quarantine, um, live. And I, I did like a Facebook live and an Instagram live, just as like a little thing to, for people on social media to see. But then I switched over to zoom and I, um, was able to start an email list like immediately, like I think Sunday or Monday that everything shut down. Um, thanks to the help of my friend, Brittany. And one of my teachers had told me months ago, she's like, Ava, your email list is everything. She was like, I love it. She was like, the email list is, it's all you need. And she was right. And, um, that's been huge is, is, is establishing that. So I got the email list going, I was promoting things. I started teaching on Zoom and I was sending stuff out via Zoom and it was all donation-based at first. Um, and people were incredibly generous with donations, especially very, very early on in quarantine. We're just so grateful that like this was being offered because everybody was really eager to keep moving and really motivated. Mm -hmm. and, um, I was like adjusting the schedule each week and trying out different things. So I decided to keep um, a, a couple donation-based, like two or three, and now it's one donation-based class a week. And now it's towards a cause. So I'm doing like monthly or it's going to be like a month and a half, like July and the rest of August is going to be towards a cause. Um, and I'm actually relating them to currently in, in, in the space of Black Lives Matter, Matter and educating myself, I have chosen to um, contribute to organizations that are black owned, black run, but in the dance world, because that's my background. So, so organizations, yeah, that are really like, that sit with me at home in that and like my message and what I do, my background in that. But anyway, I have Zoom classes each week, which I was doing about, four. I was doing two a day at first. I was doing two a day and I said, when I launched this, I said, during quarantine, there will be at least seven a week from members, like people who are subscribers. Um, and post quarantine, there will be at least two because I wanted to give myself flexibility. I didn't know what my schedule was gonna look like. I didn't know if I wanted to go back into teaching how much, some amount in person, I think, but not probably what I was doing, mm -hmm. but I didn't want, to, I wanted to manage expectations. So this week I have nine, the live Zoom classes. Um, I was like, last week, I think it was like 11 or 12. And so I'm like, and the rest of July, it's gonna be nine each week. I've set the schedule for the rest of July. So I have live Zoom classes that they have access to as members one donation-based class a week that goes towards a cause. Um, I have pre-recorded content. I have about 45 videos. I'm also doing audio recordings, like voice recordings. People awesome. like walk meditations and like gentle stretches and things that then people can take with them where they don't need to have the device available. And then I'm also doing journaling prompts each week that I send out on Wednesdays because that's something that's been more integrated into my life is journaling practice and a guided journaling practice for me is often really helpful um, to get me doing it and to keep me interested. So there are things just kind of food for thought of things that like I'm experiencing in my life and just kind of things to think on. And it can be then written out as a journal for my students, or it can be just something that they, they think about or meditate on. So it's a combination of things, which I really like that there's the variety for people who might not want one portion of it, but are really interested in another thing. And some people have exclusively only taken live classes. Some people are really just into the videos, the, you know, the pre-recorded on-demand stuff. Um, but it's been a really nice way to offer different things to people and same of like, what do you want to work on? What are you looking for? And that feedback has been so helpful to generate the content for me. Um, 
and you know to keep ideas going because I have ideas of my own but it's like this is ultimately in service of my students so it's like what do they want mm -hmm. so that it's like a hodgepodge of things but I do emails twice a week Sundays I send out an email to my regular email list and my members with the schedule for the week and some thoughts Wednesdays I send out my email with my uh, journal prompt Awesome. and send out like other little things but that's kind of my my schedule and I usually do releases around Sunday or Monday it's been a little bit like because it was twice a week during the the meet of quarantine now it's it's transitioning more to once a week and I've like had different spaces that I'm filming in so it's like you know shifted and equipment and all of that but I've been trying to just get up I'll like launch a bunch of videos at once so instead of doing them one by one, because I know Patreon, it like, well, email, I have like Patreon for some things and it emails you like when there's this thing released, this thing released, this thing released. It's a little different for me since it's through my own website that I've right. created all through my own platform as opposed to using something else. So I've done it like I'll do a bunch at once. Like there's 10 new things up on the site. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, I think it's just important to impress upon, you know, any teachers right now listening to this that there's no right or wrong way to do this. There's a way that feels authentic and right to you and makes sense to you. And to me, like Patreon just made a lot of sense. It was just, I felt that the interface was very easy to work with and I didn't want to deal with like processing payment and you had the help of somebody to build you a website. And, and there's even more things because now there's companies that are, you know, kind of like recruiting teachers to populate their stuff. And so there's so many different ways to do this. You mentioned Instagram Live. I've done a couple of those IG Lives. It's really great, especially if you have a pretty big following on there. It can really create some traffic. And I noticed that when I was doing IG Lives, it was bringing people to my Patreon because friends were telling their friends and it just kind of <laughs> became this tidal wave of people coming in. Um, and then I was doing YouTube live for a little while, which was just, it was nice. It was a little chat function and all these things. And then um, I transferred over to Zoom because I wanted to see bodies in space. And I want to focus on Zoom for a second because we both teach live on Zoom, but with two different ways. So I teach and put my body in space on the mat and do asana and practice because I have the intention of recording that video and then putting it up. And even sometimes it's me or like Kamar jumps in and <laughs> hops in there with me and people are always like, oh, we love it when Kamar hops in. <laughs> get so excited. And I'm even hoping that once he gets like comfortable in his TT, I would love for him to create content and like put it out there and like compensate him. And I've even had friends come and especially in the beginning of quarantine, I had some friends come that lost their jobs and I paid them to do class with me. I was like, you're helping me right now. Like, I'm going to play, I'm going to pay you like an employee and like help you. So like, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So I'd love to hear how you do zoom in particular. Yes. So for me, it's a little different. Um, I have my mat out and have my stuff out, but I kind of go back and forth between my mat and the computer. So I have the gallery view up, which means I can see all of the people in class. And early on in quarantine, when I had like 50 people, sometimes 30 to 50 people, you have to scroll through the pages, which is a little annoying. Crazy. But for the most part, it's been generally under 30 for me. So as of recently, so I can have everybody on the same screen. 
And um, I spend a lot of time at the screen watching the bodies. And I've been doing virtual private since 2016. My own trainer, when she moved from Boston to San Francisco in like 2012 or 13, started doing that. So I was already exposed to that. And with telehealth, like my nutritional therapist, I, I Zoom with twice a week um, still. So I was already comfortable with that in terms of seeing bodies. And I've been doing virtual privates, even people in LA, because it's easier schedule-wise for them. For me, they have kids, all kinds of things. Yeah. So I was already comfortable with that. Um, so I like being able to see bodies and then correct and speak to them very individually, like a, like a class, like you would be in person. Mm-hmm. I, obviously, there isn't the hands-on component, but um, verbally, I can cue and adjust. And I can I can see pretty well. People are like, can you really see? I'm like, I can see pretty well. I mean, it's not a 360 view, but well enough to be able to, you know, to speak to what I see and give individual corrections and individual um, just feedback, mm-hmm. uh, which has been really awesome. So what I have had for people, especially at the beginning when people were still figuring it out and the whole online thing was new for a lot of people, was I'd have them pin someone else's screen, like a student of mine who's a regular who like knows the orientation of how we're working around the mat and just kind of sequencing or my cues and all this stuff so that then they have a visual aid up when I'm not on my mat. And I'll oh, be like, that's great. Yeah. And that's what I found has worked for me really well. Um, because it means that I get to interact and, and see, and I'll just be like, you've seen like little clips and I'm like up at the screen, like nerding out. With me all yeah. I like see people doing like time lapses and they're taking your class and I just see your little face and you're just like, blah, 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 exactly. but it's just the sea of bodies going. It's so cool. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, and there's benefits to both. And I have a teacher I practice from who does the entire class on her mat and she's like always, which is nice because then I can always refer to and look and she gets to practice in her body and move. But I was asking you about recording the other day because I hadn't figured out a way to record on Zoom with the gallery view to only be able to get my screen and that's because there's not. So it's like, you got it one way, unfortunately, one yeah. way or the other. No, yeah. One of my good friends, Karen, um, she helped me a lot because she was teaching on Zoom too and was doing it like with her video featured. So she really helped me and was like, you got to pin your video. You got to spotlight your video because the first time I did it and I was like, I promise guys, I'm not going to record you. And then I did, like I recorded all the tiny boxes and it's just people's like boobs and butts just like on full display. And I told them I wasn't going to do that. So I was like, all right, well, we did this one live and it's uh, gone into the ether now. (laughs) But I want to now work into like some of the tools that we use um, because both of us like do it a little bit differently and I don't want people to feel like they can't start their Mm -hmm. online work um, and have to like invest hundreds or thousands of dollars on professional equipment because it can feel a little overwhelming, especially like before I did my own thing, like I did some like Olo Moves classes and it's just filmed beautifully. I mean, they rent these beautiful spaces, they got professional camera crews and it just kind of makes you feel like, well, shit, like (laughs) mine doesn't look like that. So I literally cobbled together some bullshit when I started and so I want to just talk about some basics that I use and some basics that you use and how we've grown or kind of maintained what we're doing and still feel like we're, you know, serving our communities because I feel like what you invest into your business, it will return and people will see that you, that you care and that you want to deliver a good product. I hate to minimize it like that, but that's 
kind of how it is. So um, I use a lavalier mic. So this was my very first lavalier mic. Oh and so this, it's like so janky. <laughs> I have um, multiple times forgotten to turn it on before recording <laughs> or I've like smushed this cord and then like I lose my audio. <laughs> just doing some crazy shit like you're yeah. doing, I don't know some stuff on your back because like I know that the way we teach yoga it's like we're going all over the mat all over the place so this was my old mic it has now been retired um for a road wireless go mic so this was my like hey my business is doing pretty good I'm gonna reinvest in my business um so this is the microphone it's really nice it just like clips on super easy there's no cord attached or receiver attached and i can just plug this straight into my phone so even mm -hmm. if you're teaching on your phone you just if you have an iphone of course you have to get the little dongle and then clip it in and it has this digital face here that will show your voice and like that it's catching mm -hmm. it and if you have it turned up too high or mm -hmm. too low so this has been my mic situation Plus I upgraded for um, doing meditations and I got a mic that's like a podcasting mic because I really, like for me, yep, there you go. Like I really like hearing the richness in a voice is really, really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. For your classes, you do, I mean, especially when you're sitting up in your Zoom, like I'm guessing you probably use that mic. Or so just I actually haven't been because the AirPods allow me to go forward and back. Yeah. The AirPods I've been using, one of my friends, so sweet, during quarantine, I, we both had birthdays, and um, you and I both, but she yeah. got me AirPods for my birthday because I was having all these tech issues, and she had a feeling I was about to get them, and she got them for her birthday, which was so sweet. And those were great for Zoom because since the mic goes with me everywhere, and that's just like an easy one, and then I can hear and share the audio on Zoom and hear all of it so that I can move around. But I use this for my audio recordings, for my voice recordings, for like, yeah. and I and I got it recently for podcasting with my friends, and it's a pseudo tack mic, um, and it's awesome. I mean, it, it wasn't that expensive relatively, and the quality is excellent. And yeah, you can really hear exactly you said the richness and the quality in the voice, and that's really for something that you're listening to without the visual. It's it matters, you know. And even with videos, I think people are often listening more than they're watching, right? Yeah. So a lot of students start to become comfortable they're listening more so the the audio is like really nice when it when it's smooth and mm -hmm. cool. yeah and you have a little pop mic on there like a little pop screen on it yeah i have a blue yeti mic and um i was i mean there's so many different mics out there and it, it, don't talk to a mic nerd because it's going to overwhelm you <laughs> But I even started using this mic for sound baths and it actually picks up like all the dimension of the sound bowls and it actually records my gong pretty well, which is so hard because that thing is like, I mean, it's totally different recorded versus in person. Of course, when you feel like you're actually submerged in sound, but it actually did a pretty good job. Um, and I just... Um, edit any of my mic stuff, like just simply mic in GarageBand. Do you do it in GarageBand or just, yeah. Exactly, GarageBand, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I don't have a ton of it, but what I have done, yeah. GarageBand I find is pretty, I'm familiar with it from school. We used it in school growing up. So just kind of familiar with the program already. I feel like it's fairly user-friendly. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a second to get all the way figured out with things, but luckily, like if I forget how to do something, I'm like, how do I like gradually fade a track? That's always the thing I forget to know how to do. And I just like Google, how do I fade track in GarageBand? Exactly. It's it, everything's on the internet. So much information on the internet. Yeah. And what about the actual like video recording? What do you use? So I have been just using my phone and my computer. Um, I have a 10s iPhone. So it's a pretty good camera. I have been wanting to um, get a like a nicer camera. The thing that I struggle with is compatibility issues. I want to make sure everything is really. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say because um, I want to make sure everything is easily transferable. You know, like onto the device and working with it all together. What's nice about the iPhone and I have a Mac and I got a new computer. I got a MacBook Pro during. Quarantine, I had a 2012 MacBook Pro. You had a dinosaur, girl. Literally a dinosaur. And I had no idea that was like abnormal because it was working just fine. Like fine for what I needed it for, but not fine. And I actually spilled water on it. I was in a Skype and like maybe in April. And I was like, I spilled water on it. I was like, well, it's time. This was the sign to get, and I upgraded my Wi-Fi and did all the things. What's nice about the iPhone is that it, it can just airdrop Bluetooth it onto my computer. So that's super, and I can do a lot of editing on it, on the device itself. So that's what I started with. Um, I've used the computer as well, um, which generally, I mean, this one's brand new, the camera's pretty good, but you know, lighting and stuff doesn't, doesn't adjust the same way a phone does. I do have this ring light that I use for filming, um, just like a cheap one and it, as you got the tripod and all this stuff. And so this is nice for like that. And the, the iPhone does pretty well with that. But I'm like still, it's very basic for me. My technology is not, I'm not a tech person. So I'm like navigating that. And as we, that's just like a whole other thing. Um, but it's good to hear like what you're using and what you've kind of figured out and navigating. So I thought about getting like one of those group fitness mics that like places I've worked have, but then there's the wire and all the things. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, or being face down and trying to figure mm -hmm. that out. Yeah. And that's why I love my new road mic. I was just like, okay, I'm fucking done with this wire. Like, <laughs> cause I would just get tangled in it or like I got kind of a long torso and I would want to keep it kind of contained and not just dangly and out. I'm like, I'm here to teach yoga, not jump rope. So <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like you can just use a phone and a ring light and like your AirPods and create decent to good material. Um, I um, film on a DSLR and I'm going to tell you like what I love about it and what I hate about it because <laughs> there are things where I just wish like I could just do this on my phone and this would be less of a headache. But um, so this is the camera that I use. And it just has like a little SD card port, which most of, most of the um, MacBooks have the SD card port, except for the new ones. Because it has all these like, I forget what this port is called, but like you have to, of course, because it's Apple and they're assholes, you have to get like this little attachment to plug your SD card into. <laughs> 
I had to buy like 17 different things when I got the computer to make sure that I could even just like do normal shit. Yeah, no, it's lame. But once you got the stuff, like it's pretty easy to do. So I edit all of my stuff through iMovie. Yes. It's just, you can just snap, slide, fade. Like it's very easy and intuitive for me, but also I'm a little bit geeky with computers. I'm like a soft geek, not like hardcore tech geek. (laughs) But for me, it's like pretty decent to be able to, you know, create that. One of the great things about iPhones is you can just hit record and when you're done, you stop. But most SD cameras, they only give you anywhere from like 10 minutes to 15 minutes. And some of the new ones, like the Sony cameras, can get you up to 30 minutes. So you're going to be stopping and starting and, you know, quilting your work together. Yeah. Which can be pretty annoying. It can. I, I could see, but at the same time, I could also see how it benefits in case like that way, you know, if you fuck up something up in your take that you don't want in there, you don't just start the whole thing over. It's just like segments. Right. And like you said, it's like kind of plug and play for you where you've got your system figured out. So now it's like, there's a little less pressure of going into something and being like, and I mean, I've pieced a couple of things together. I was having some storage issues on my phone and it kept stopping recordings and working through that. So I pieced things together, but it's like nice to know at least that it's like, you know, the takes are shorter in case you do want to also redo a segment of it. Yeah. And also um, I started to, from the suggestion of a friend of mine, Stephanie and her husband, Todd, who works in film industry, they were like, why don't you try some different camera angles? And at first I was like, no, like I was super resistant. Cause I was like, no, it's going to make it more work. But now it's like, oh my God, it's just so cool. Especially if I'm really breaking down something like I'll change my camera angle. I'll bring everything in tighter. Maybe I'll give it this more like bird's eye view or like kind of like even close to the ground. And so it's actually made Uh, added just a little more dimension to the way that I'm recording things, but I was keeping it just like one angle for the first nine months. Like I only started changing camera angles like two months ago or something, but it's been super awesome and kind of gets my like creative juices flowing in a way of like how I can view a body in space and a body in shape. Absolutely. And then you get like, you can really customize what people are seeing as opposed to just like, this is what you get. And it's like this angle supposed to create that. That's, that's nice. And that's like, I know your style of teaching has moved more towards this workshoppy, you know, of, of really refining things, breaking things down, getting into these kind of cool variations of things over the, like, since, you know, since you've also started your Patreon mm-hmm. and that's like a nice way to be able to highlight that of it feels like a little bit more workshoppy than just like a class, which is also fine. Yeah. So it's like more, I mean, but it's, it's like a little extra inside kind of look to it. I love that. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. I even like recorded a handstand workshop. It was like an hour and 20 minutes. So it was like this behemoth of a recording, but it was so fun to do because I was like taking this camera all over my house. I was like, I'm at this wall over here and now we're over by the fireplace and now we're over (laughs) So I basically gave people a tour of my house while simultaneously teaching. Double whammy. Yes, double whammy. And lighting is just so, so, so important. Um, I have a ring light 
right now that I'm using for this interview, but I also have two LED lights that I use, um, tripoded the same thing so that I can kind of angle them in at me. Cause I think ideally in recording, you want these like two lights and then like an above light typically, but I don't really want to, <laughs> I don't have like a boom operator to <laughs> hold this thing out for me. Um, and I noticed that I, I get the best light and reduction of shadows. Like if this was my camera right here, if I bring my lights like just to the outside of that camera pointing in at me, I just noticed that brings a lot more richness. Um, plus just recently I used to have like complete light canceling horizontal blinds in my living room where I recorded. So those blocked out the light and I hated them to death. And also my cat would come through and like weave through it and be super noisy. So I changed it to these like kind of medium fabric. And it's almost like I have this big soft box behind me when I record and it looks like so bright and lovely. Like I'm just obsessed right now with how my living room has transformed into this like recording studio. I love it. And it's so, I love like, even right now, it's so bright and white and light. Like the space that you have is just, it's, it's nice. It gives us really like light look to it. You know, this really like, it's, it's, it's very kind of dreamy and it's open. It seems clean, which is nice too. It's very clean. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Welcome. That means so much. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Like when we moved down here, cause I moved from LA to San Diego and I was still driving up to LA to teach for a while, which was just insanity. But I told my partner, like when we moved, I was like, it was really important to me, the type of space that we got because I wanted to start recording. I was like, I don't, I was like, it's just, I, I really want to really pick and choose like what we're doing with our space because like we're creating the dojo. Like, <laughs> and to me, like practice space is very sacred. Yes. Like I, I, I ritualistically clean the space before I teach, I smudge it. Like, <laughs> no, it makes sense. I just have this, this, and I think that that, when you start to do that, and it's just like created this sense of ritual, the same way where I would step into a studio space and make sure it was clean and make sure it was orderly just out of like, just out of respect. So for people that are just like, starting their journey into creating material for themselves like these are all things to look into and to decide for yourself and have some agency around like what is my message like let that be your first conversation with yourself is like what do I want to put out into the world absolutely Mm-hmm. 100%. And that's actually why I, I didn't have a website before because I don't like websites that are poorly done or that look like there's stuff missing or it's disorganized or just, you know, you can tell and just like, what's going on here? I was like, I'd rather not have a website than have one that that doesn't fully represent me and my message and my dharma. So mm-hmm. that was so important to me, especially because my platform is through my website. Mm-hmm. Everything is, in, is, is through that. Um, that I was like, it needs to be. And I mean, Brittany's done, I'm just so like, I didn't even give her that much direction. She was able to like, based on our conversations, figure out what to call it and, and kind of like 
elements around nature that she brought in and colors she figured it out in a way where she knows me and my teaching and what I wanted to do well but exactly to figure out like what what's your dharma what's your your path here you're just trying to survive and make money and that's okay but be clear on what you know where you're coming from in the space okay and then what are you trying to present and how is this going to be an offering how is this going to be an offering where there can be connections especially virtually because you don't have that in-person thing and then if you're doing pre-recorded content you know you have to figure out a way to be presenting yourself in a way where it's going to connect right screen, screen through time and space right through through all these other factors now it's a whole different thing girl um, i've gotten so good at talking to myself it's insane <laughs> My neighbors are probably just like, wow, he's having a little party over there by herself. <laughs> no, and I think you're like, your website looks gorgeous. I mean, I, I love the message you put forward. It's like, this is the work. So like, let them know what your website is right now so they can click that shit. It's theworkbyava.com. The work as it's spelled by ava.com. Um, Brittany and I in January back, she came to Manhattan Beach and we were like walking and we like went and we just like were brainstorming. And um, I kept saying, I was like, I just want to work with people who want to do the work. And like that kept showing up. And she was like, I know what we're calling it. And it's something that it's now hilarious when I say it in class and everybody else laughs because I say it a lot. I say it, you know, not, not excessively, but it's something that shows up for me. I'm like, that's the work right there. And it's something that I refer to and it can mean all kinds of different things and it, it across time and space in different ways, but it just made sense that that was the message. And it also, I like realized after you launched it, I was like, it kind of sounds kind of serious and it doesn't need to be so serious, right? Like the work sounds like a lot of work. And I was like, oh fuck, like not people are <laughs> this big commitment and like, no, it doesn't need to be, it gets to be whatever you want it to be, right? And like some people do private, some people might take one class a month, some people, you know, just to have mm -hmm. the option you get to, it gets to be customized to you because all this is available to people. Um, so that's how that came to be, is like the work and whatever that means to you and however you step into that. But that's why there's that journaling component component of how do we show up for ourselves and how are we interacting with the world? And I'm in a space, it's my journal problem for this week is about this. I'm in a space of feeling more these days, just because I'm in a space where I'm, I've slowed down and I'm noticing more and I'm a little bit more I'm in my space more mm -hmm. I'm running around to the point where I can actually be in observation of ebbs and flows and changes and the waves, especially during this time with everything that we have going on and how our world is rapidly changing and has changed and continues to change. I'm in that space of feeling mm -hmm. the, as opposed to just bypassing them because I'm running to go to the next thing. Right. Like that shows up in this too, of like doing the work to be present in those experiences and all these things can coexist. You can be excited and frustrated at the same time, you know, or that's just one example, but it isn't, things aren't so, so clear cut. There's a lot of that in between. And that's like what I like to explore. I love it. And I think you captured that with your business with your business model. And that's kind of the amazing thing is when you're in your work, the answers kind of present themselves the same way that yoga weirdo came to me because people kept calling me a weirdo. And I was like, well, I'm going to fucking own that shit. And I copyrighted yoga weirdo. So <laughs> I owned it, you know? And, and so again, 
thank you. I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day and sharing this with me because I think it's so important to do this work and to share and to invite others into our processes and lift up our community in that way. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm inspired by what you do. You've led the way for a lot of us to have also to have faith in ourselves, you know, and that we're more capable than we realize. We're more creative. I'm sure you've experienced like I had no idea I could my dad always called me resourceful when I was a child and I didn't know what it meant. I was like, why can't you get ready? Like because resourceful and now as an adult I'm like okay yeah I am resourceful like when push comes to shove what we're capable of and so you know we want to I want to empower people I know you want to empower people to to have to trust themselves so thank you for being a trailblazer in that way in this world thank you um so just to all the listeners again it is called the work by ava.com so www T-H-E-W-O-R-K-B-Y-A-V-A.com. <laughs> and you can find me at TracyLynnMovement.com. So T-R-A-C-Y-L-Y-N-N-M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T.com. And there are links for my Patreon in there. If you want to support what I do, please hop on to Ava's work, support what she does. And again, thank you for stopping by. Thanks for holding the granola. Thanks for just being honest and transparent with me. I appreciate it so much. And I can't wait to see you again face to face, but this virtual situation will have to suffice for now. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Hold the Granola with our special guest, Ava Moreno. I have more interviews coming your way, if you're into that sort of thing. My intention around this podcast was to create a space for yogis that don't want to hear the usual love and light tropes. (laughs) I want to lift unique voices in the industry and bring attention to people that are keeping it real in the yoga world. Wouldn't that be so refreshing? Thanks for listening. Hit that subscribe button. And I look forward to seeing y'all next time.